When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, my friend, and greetings from Barcelona. Yes, that's right. This podcast is really fully international at the moment. I am in Barcelona. Um, I'm going to Primavera Sound Festival, uh, which kicks off tonight as I'm recording on Thursday. Um, and it is just a delight to be here. And I, for one, am grateful for technology, which allows me to record for you wherever I am. Hope you had a good week. Um, my week was pretty good, actually. I went to the VIP Style Awards on Friday, which are so like it's such a fun thing to go to every time I get invited like whatever about nominations every time I get invited I'm excited because you just don't get that many opportunities to really go the full hog and get dressed up um and I was like doubly excited because I decided this year in terms of what I was wearing to work with Leah Cowan who is a young designer young Irish designer um and she and I had worked together on a look for last year's VIP style awards but then I got COVID boo so I couldn't go um and then I ended up wearing that dress on the cover of Irish Country Magazine and I wore it to a couple of other things. Um, it's kind of in pieces, so I wore some pieces um, to a couple of other things. And then we decided that we would just rework that dress so that it could have its VIP style moment this year. And um, I absolutely loved wearing it. I felt like I felt... Is it really cheesy to say I felt beautiful? I just felt really good in it. And I, I kind of hadn't kind of felt like that for a while so it was really restorative um it's good to remind yourself that like you know sometimes you're not covered in a film of grime and <laughs> you can look nice you are capable of that and it was one of those nights and I actually went with Leah as well um she's just such a gorgeous girl I'm absolutely mad about her um so we had a great time really good fun I didn't win but as I say genuinely just and, and I mean this sincerely just like truly happy to be there happy to be invited um it's also really fun like when you arrive and everybody else is arriving and you're seeing what everybody's wearing and yeah it's great fun so that was good fun this week um other than that I think my weekend was pretty quiet um which which is good and now I'm in Barcelona and Barcelona is one of my favorite cities in the whole world um so I'm just delighted to be here and after I finish recording and editing this I'm going to go out onto the streets and take in the sights and sounds and going to get something delicious to eat, which I'm very excited about because we arrived too late last night to actually um, eat anything of quality. 
shall we say. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, we'll get on with the show. Um, thank you so much to everyone who sent me nice messages this week about the Style Awards look. Thank you, everyone. You guys are amazing. Like, I keep meeting you on the street and stuff, which is so cool. Um, the other day I was crossing the road at traffic lights and a girl shouted out her car, I love the podcast. So if you're listening, thank you. I really enjoyed that. Um, it's always so nice to meet you. So thank you again for your continued support. Just a little reminder that the Patreon is there. There are bonus episodes um, every second week. Now, the, the episode that would have come out this week came out last week because myself and Esther recorded that special about the Vanderpump Rules reunion. Um, but they're all there. And if you join, you can get all the old ones as well. Um, and lots of them are not kind of um, time dependent. Does that make sense? Time related. Like you can listen to them any anytime is what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, if you want to do that, the link is in the show notes. And I thank you for listening. And let's get on with the show and catch up on the news. Apologies. Uh, the start of this file was corrupted for some reason. So there's no introduction. <laughs> so to give Eva Moore her due, delighted to have journalist Eva Moore once again with me to take us through the week's stories. There is not one, not one shining light there. Well, maybe no. actually the vaping, maybe. I suppose you could kind of look at as well, it's a good not thing. good for seventeen year olds you vape. No, no, it's not. <laughs> okay, um, let's start with the housing crisis, as we are prone to do. Um, I thought this phrase was just very powerful that came out of the conversation this week. That having a job won't get you out of homelessness, which I don't think any of us will really be surprised by, but still, how grim. I think it's the first time we've ever actually heard this in Ireland. Like, mm-hmm. I've watched, like, a million documentaries about homelessness in London and big cities like New York, where people have jobs and they live in, like, tents. Yeah. And it's just not something we consider in an Irish context. Mm. But it's the first time we've heard it this week. So the Simon community were in front of their Octus Housing Committee. And Wayne Stanley, who is, like, executive director of the Simon community, said in Ireland now that employment is no longer a way out of homelessness. He said the number of employed people who are presenting to the Simon community and our emergency accommodation um, is growing. And he actually said, I thought this was really interesting, he said this issue is really big in Galway and Cork. Hmm. Um, Which I know, like maybe I suppose because Dublin is obviously bigger and there's a lot more accommodation in Dublin even though there's not enough but there is more but he says that it's Dublin and or sorry Galway and Cork that it's um presenting itself most acutely and he said oh this is so grim he said the issue is arising particularly in youth services so that young people can get jobs which makes sense like it makes sense because young people don't get get paid well yeah yeah and yeah if you're on like a minimum wage and then say you get paid whatever the minimum like the minimum wage but like if you live in Dublin, your like rent is what, fourteen hundred Exactly. And like it's all well and good if you have a family that you can live with. I mean, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that way, yeah. obviously. But like if you're someone who is, you know, doesn't come from a family who can allow you know, who can have you or doesn't have family, you know, you're screwed. Mm. What like what are you supposed to do? It's absolutely insane. Yeah. So Owen O'Brien, the Champagne Housing spokesperson, said that in the in the committee he said, Listen, you know, the concern I have is every time <laughs> Every time you come here, things are getting worse. Um, yeah. And now we're also talking about this kind of in the wake of the eviction ban ending. So they said that the Residential Tenancies Board has received 4,753 eviction notices in the first quarter of this year. 
And that's an increase of 424 since the last three months of 2022. Jesus, isn't it? And then I know that in leaders' questions this week, there was a conversation about um, the caller into drive time last yeah, week. Yeah, the nurse. Yeah, yeah, a nurse named Lauren who is living in her car. She's a nurse. She's living in her car. And she has two kids. And she's had to send her kids to live with family because she can't find somewhere for them to live. Like, I don't understand. Like, I know, I feel like a broken record. I know we have had this conversation yes. a million times, but I do not understand how the politicians so, are just, sleeping at night yeah, in their lovely just, homes. Like, explain this for the, the listeners. So this week in Leaders' Questions, the Sinn Féin resident, Mary Lou McDonald, you know, raised the issue of Lauren, the nurse, um, who lives in her car and has sent her two children away to lovely relatives because she can't find a house. And Mary Lou McDonald said, you know, can you imagine, like, what is happening? And Leo Vragger, the Taoiseach, said, you know, the government, he says, is working to, like, they're working to prevent people from entering homelessness. And then he said, we have a long way to go to make up for the deficit of builds over the years. And then he said, he believes the homeless numbers will decrease. I believe they will fall. This isn't a like I am not what making basis? a political statement. Like I am not making a political statement here. I have very mixed feelings with every single political party in Ireland. I don't understand how every emergency lever has not been pulled at this stage. How are it we still putting money social, in a rainy day fund? It is a social catastrophe and the government has a rainy day fund where like putting money into a rainy day fund when people are drowning beside you. I don't. I like. I, I. I don't get it. I feel sometimes like I feel like I'm living in a parallel universe. I don't know. Maybe it's because certain politicians feel like maybe they're not at the kind of the coal face. Maybe they don't like see people or they're not around people. But like. It affects every facet of everyone's life. Like, I, do you know we, what? It, and like, I am now, like, coming from a very working class background, now middle class, and it affects my life. Like, as yeah. a single, as a single woman, the last three fellas I went on dates, we loved with their parents. Mm. Who had good jobs and worked in tech, but there is nowhere for them to live. The thing for me, Eva, like, is that I think, I think Leo Varadkar and similar really believe that they're fixing the problem like I think they really do I think well no I think they do that's the thing like people ask me this all the time about politics and ask me this all the time about politicians like these aren't like craven evil people in any shape or form they genuinely believe that they're doing the right thing despite every shred of data and evidence telling them that they're not it's very frustrating. But again, I like just, I feel like we have said everything we've just said, we've said before, basically, except for the specific yeah. examples. So I don't even know the at this point. Start, <laughs> just to go back to the story. So the census figures that came out this month, the average age of people moving out of their parents' house in Ireland is 28. Do you put it into context? My parents were done having children when they were 27. 
No, I wouldn't recommend that like, either, to be honest. <laughs> no, but I like I just wanted to like, put it in the context yeah. for like where we are as a country. No, I know. My parents I hear, got married yeah. married at twenty one and stopped having kids at twenty seven. Yeah. And now we are at a stage where young people do not move out of their parents' house until they're twenty eight. Yeah. The difference in one generation is really stark. Okay, let's move on to the bad news for the seventeen year old vapors. I think this is a good thing. Our friend, yeah. Dr. May, will be really happy with this. She absolutely will. So vape, vaping is banned. Um, you cannot... I actually thought this was illegal anyway, but apparently not. So you are no longer allowed from July to sell vaping products to someone under 18. I'm actually which, shocked that you could. Yeah, me too. Like, But I actually would say, like, even when I'm on the dart or, like, I see, you know, on public transport or whatever, and there's, like girls or kids or whatever in their school uniforms and you see quite a lot of them vaping oh yeah like, and like really yeah, young uniforms. really young yeah it's so, upsetting um Stephen donnelly the health minister brought a bill to cabinet this week and that would ban um the sale of vaping products to under 18s and then they will no longer be able to advertise them near schools or on public transport yeah um they said it's because that the health research board said the children who vaped were five times more likely to start smoking. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. Like, but, like there's so many of our pals vape and they never smoked. Yeah, which is wild. Like, wild. Yeah. Although I will say, I had my first go of a vape. I feel, I feel bad saying it, but I just had a go out of curiosity. And it's just like candy flavored smoke. Like, what did yeah. they think was going to happen? <laughs> Yeah, and like in America, obviously, like Jill and those big vaping companies have all been sued because of, you know, like targeting towards children and stuff. But like, it's so strange. I feel like we've come like full circle, you know, like the smoking figures have gone way down mm. and now vaping figures have gone way up. Like, I just feel like it's just come round again full circle. But yeah, so this from July onwards, basically, shops vending machines everything you will no longer be able to sell the under 18s yeah it'll be like um, cigarettes yeah so um, it's, it's, it's probably a good thing to I be mean, fair and this is quite light because Australia have a total ban on vaping yeah totally yeah, yeah they're totally banned yeah. which is you know next level um, okay now let's talk about this story about voluntary contributions and obviously mindful of the fact that we're going to talk about this you know about three minutes after talking about the impact that homelessness is having on people mm-hmm. and I think it's important to keep that in mind as we have this conversation so voluntary contributions are payments that re- schools request from parents yes so I this is very alien to me obviously because I'm from the north so I didn't know anything about this until I moved here but voluntary payments or yeah so it's basically a contribution that you make to the school um it's in the name it's supposed to be voluntary yeah. um but we had uh, a report this week from St. Vincent de Paul who said that children are being called out of class named and shamed in school because their parents haven't paid it so this survey was done of like 1500 parents and they said that 87% of those said they had a cut back or delay spending on other areas of their family budget to pay the post-primary voluntary contribution charge. So it's actually stark. You, you can look it up on the Savannah de Paul website I looked at this morning. Mm. Um, one parent who is a cancer patient mm. said they had to stop getting their medication to pay these fees. Mm-hmm. Um, one parent said that they didn't pay it 
they received phone calls and notes home and then were told by the school that the contribution was not voluntary. Another one said that a child didn't receive a homework notebook and then the teacher would ask in front of the rest of the class, where is your notebook? So all of the other children in the class would know that the fees weren't paid. There was another instance where the school wrote on a blackboard mm. who had paid and who hadn't. Mm. I have so much admiration for teachers. I could not do that job. I think they're amazing. But I really, really need to question the mindset of people who would do this to children. It's wild. Like, I mean, I was surprised by many elements of this story. Like, this, my son's school does ask for a voluntary contribution. It's not very much. Um, unfortunately, we can pay it. So we there's no issue for us and, and we're happy to. And I think most parents who are able to are happy to make a contribution to the school. Yeah. Um, now, first of all, to highlight that the reason that schools need a contribution is because they're not getting enough fucking funding in the first place. So yeah, let's so identify that problem. Yeah. The yeah. But I didn't realize a couple of things I didn't realize. Number one, according to the report, the average voluntary contribution is 140 euro, which is way more yeah. than our school asks for. And they range mm-hmm. from 30 euro to 550 euro per child. 550 euro. What? That is insane. That is so much money. Like that is a ridiculous amount of money to ask, you know, if you're not going to a fee paying school, it's completely crazy. So I didn't know That's that. Insane. And then I was really shocked by the examples that you've just named. And, and I know, <clears throat> you know, Again, not to shit on teachers and schools who I know genuinely have funding issues. And I do not believe for one second that that would happen in our school. It just would completely go against the ethos and the vibe of the school. Yeah. And I th- I think and hope that these are more exceptional rather than the rule. Norm, yeah. Because I think that there are lots of teachers out there who are working really bloody hard without enough money to to do their teaching, without enough money you know, yeah. to live on, um, who would never humiliate their pupils in this fashion but the fact that there are any who are doing it is just appalling I just like I remember like I in the north it's completely different like there's no you know fee paying schools where there wasn't any when I was growing up and like you even when you were at school like people you know when I went to like I went to school in a really working class area and like you know who has money and who doesn't yeah like kids already know the fact that you would single kids out to do this yeah I find so disturbing. And also, it's not the kid's fault. No, like, exactly. They can't no control it. But it's like, it's the notion that, you know, well, you know, little little Davy hasn't paid and then putting their name on a board in a cost of living crisis, in a housing crisis. It's insane. Uh, yeah. I was completely taken aback by it, to be honest. I do hope that the amount of coverage that this got this week, um, and I've actually written an opinion column about it for the Irish Independent, you'll be happy to hear, um, you know, will make schools kind of question their policy because it's, you know, it's it's unacceptable. Um, okay, let's talk about what is going on in the world of cryptocurrency scams because unfortunately things are going very wrong. I wish I understood anything to do with crypto yeah same to be honest Um, (laughs) i mean i know enough to make this story make sense it's just it's a a new scam comes on every so often basically gardy have put out like a public information campaign and said you know they're seeing tragic cases where people are investing their life savings into cryptocurrency and that they're basically saying to people if it is too good to be true if it's get rich quick do not put your money into it. Like, pair, even like on an anecdotal basis, one of my friends 
her dad of 20 grand on a crypto scam. Like, I understand, like, you hear things about, you know, tech bros and people making all this money that they are not the rule. They are the exception. So the guards um, were in front of the Raptors committee um, this week and he said that people, he said people who you would think would be a traditional conservative type of people who are retiring and putting away, putting away money their whole life. He said, we're now seeing absolutely tragic cases where people's whole life savings have been put under these scams and that they're investing in things that don't exist. Oh, it's so sad. And like, the thing oh, is, I know so someone, like I, I genuinely know someone who made a lot of money from crypto, but it was early days. And I think that time yeah. is gone, you know? I don't, oh, yeah, totally. and he knew what he was like, doing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's hard because, yeah. you know, especially it's, as we say, everybody's struggling else. for money. And if you think you've got yeah. an easy way to make money, it's understandable that you would go for it. But yeah, don't be doing that basically. Yeah, so basically, like, that's what the guard I was saying. It was like, you know, new types of fraud come up every so often. So, or new ways to get rich quick, you know, come up every so often. And, mm. like, I, there's just different ways to target people. And you're right, it is because there's a cost of living crisis. And there is because there's a housing crisis. So people are obviously more attractive. And then they hear the stories of, like, your friend who yeah. made all this money out of crypto. And they're like, okay, well, I could do that too. And it's yeah. just not the case. And if you don't understand it, like... For instance, mean you don't understand it. Do not put your money on it. Yeah. And like the guards were saying that they've had to completely change how they police. They said, you know, armed robberies, so cash in transit or ATM, you know, ATM robberies mm. or whatever it were about a thing years ago. Mm. He said that they don't even, the guards basically don't deal with that anymore. Mm. He said that they've had to like invest more money now into, you know, online cyber crime. And he said criminals are moving to easier me methods of making large volumes of money. So we've actually seen the people who were traditionally organized criminals involved in violence and organized crime are moving into these areas. They're so, so flexible. They look into, I mean, you Honestly. have to appreciate You have to hand it to them. But like the guards were saying that they look into a thousand online banking scams per month. It's wild. God, it's awful. Well, I mean, and if like, you think about how many texts you get... Yeah, like we've all been done for it. Like I got a text once from Bank of Ireland. Everything was completely legit. Uh, it, the link took me to a Bank of Ireland website. I logged in and it just like... Scoundry. As soon as I did it, yeah, I was just like, as soon as I thought, I was like, I don't think this is Bank of Ireland. So I phoned Bank of Ireland and I was like, oh, I really fucked up. And the guy was like, it's okay. They cancelled my cards. Like it was grand and like changed all my online stuff. And he said, Eva, you would not believe how many calls... Mm. I do with this, like, because like, I was like, I'm such an idiot. And he was like, no, we get doctors, we get fucking, yeah. like, this happens constantly. Okay, um, our final story today is really grim, but I think it's important that we talk about this stuff because sometimes we can get wrapped up, and particularly as we're heading into Pride Month, we can get very wrapped up in the idea that, like, oh, homophobia is over. <laughs> and then you realize that, no. I mean, first of all, it's not it's not over in Ireland, but, like, over, yeah. there are some countries where it's even more severe, and Uganda is an example of that currently. Yeah, so Uganda already had, like, some of the harshest anti-gay anti-LGBTQ plus laws in the world, but they've put through another one this week and it will now have life imprisonment or in some cases sentenced to death for LGBTQ activity. Um, and obviously that is horrific on its own, but the UN have put out a statement actually saying that this is now going to hamper their work on decreasing HIV. 
Mm. Because obviously, and that was that part of Africa, HIV is a massive issue. And mm-hmm. then if we if they criminalize LGBTQ behavior, the less people are going to go and get checked. And mm. this is how things happen. So not only is it like horrifically anti-queer legislation, but then it will have a knock-on effect for everyone else. Like HIV is not a gay problem. HIV is an everyone problem. Mm. Um, so it's been obviously like completely maligned like there's been statements from the WHO and the UN saying that this this law now in Uganda is completely horrific um Joe Biden said it was a tragic violation of and a universe of universal human rights and then he said that Uganda or America is now going to sanction or look into sanctioning Uganda um and restriction uh entry restrict ent- entry for Ugandan people into the United States until the government roll back on this legislation. So it's worth noting in 2023, as we head into Pride Month, this is people not, are still like, being sentenced to death for being gay yeah, in some countries in the world. That's the reality. From, like, look, let's get away from love is love and maybe like address the fact that trans and gay people are in danger. Yeah, might be an might be an idea. And also, let's remember this in the context of refugees coming into our country, that there are some people who literally just by existing in their country are risking their lives and they need safer homes. So, yeah, it's just it's so upsetting. It's good to see people like Joe Biden talking about it and talking about sanctions and actually paying attention, though. Okay. All right. On that cheery note, (laughs) even more. Thank you so, so much. Uh, I will bid you adieu from Barcelona. Bye. Bye. Now, obviously, last week on the podcast, we spoke to Aubrey Gordon, who uh, has previously gone by the name Your Fat Friend and is the presenter, co-presenter of Maintenance Phase, a podcast which debunks diet culture and wellness trends. And again, I got so many messages from you guys just absolutely loving that conversation. So I really appreciate it because I did feel like I kind of veered off my professional course a little bit and just really enjoyed talking to her as a person. She's so lovely and great and I'm such a fan. Um, But it just occurred to me that maybe if you're someone who is new to the idea of diet culture itself or new to the idea of trying to kind of divorce your sense of value and self-worth from your kind of physical shape that it might be helpful to speak to someone who can give you some tips on doing that so I'm delighted that this week we have nutritionist and intuitive eating counselor Neve Orbinski on the podcast she is the author of No Apologies Ditch Diet Culture and Rebuild Your Relationship with Food Um, and she's written a book specifically uh, to try and help people kind of get away from toxic food thoughts and toxic body thoughts and into a much healthier uh, frame of mind the book is a great read. It's not hard. It's really helpful and instructive. So I highly recommend it. But you'll get some tips here as well from Neve Orbinski. Neve, it is such a pleasure to talk to you. I know we we got to meet each other recently at the Dublin International Literature Festival, which was wonderful. Um, and, you know, we'd been planning to have this chat anyway. And actually, this is perfectly timed because the last episode of the podcast, myself and Aubrey Gordon were discussing fat phobia and systemic fat phobia and all of the ways that fat phobia kind of damage us in the world. And I guess there might be people who are trying to figure out how they can unlearn fat phobia or kind of try and um, get themselves out of the kind of diet culture frame of mind, uh, which is ideal um, mm-hmm. because that's kind of the topic of your book. No apologies. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your work and how you came to do this work. 
So I am a nutritionist and intuitive eating counsellor and a yoga teacher, and I specialize in intuitive eating, disordered eating and body image work. So every day on a daily basis, I sit with people very intimately in clinic in my private practice. I love working with people very closely to help them rebuild their relationship with food and body image. That is my jam. That's Mm. what I love to do. And I studied initially, um, I did my degree in nutritional science down UCC. So doing the work that I do now is quite untraditional, shall we say in that I'm, I've moved away from weight centric practice into more weight inclusive practice. Mm. And what that basically means is that I have people sitting in front of me of all different shapes and sizes, and I don't look at their weight as being the main problem, mm. which is quite radical, shall mm. we say, in, in a world where if you are in a larger body, it's seen as a problem that needs to be fixed and yeah. something that we just assume is affecting your health. But that's just not true. And there's so much else that we can do to impact your health outside of looking at weight Mm. and I guess the reason why I came to to this work is because I used to sit with people all the time helping them to to lose weight and I felt like it made them smaller it didn't make them bigger Mm. and I thought there has to be a different way you know focusing on weight loss what I've seen with my clients is that it chips away at self-esteem over time. And it actually affects people on a mental level and an emotional level when they can't get to that place that they've been told for so long they should be able to get to if they just work hard enough. Yeah. And that is the lie that we're sold, isn't it? That, you know, people in thin bodies are are doing the work and people in fat bodies are not doing the work. Um, And of course, we know that that's, you know, that's not the case. There are plenty of people in thin bodies who, you know, aren't exercising and are eating, you know, quote unquote terribly and there are plenty of people in bigger bodies who exercise loads and eat a really balanced diet and still are in bigger bodies yeah exactly I mean this idea that a thin body is earned Mm. and that it can be earned is quite outdated Mm. some people are just naturally thin Mm. some people are just naturally living in larger bodies that doesn't mean anything about who they are as a person Mm. or the behaviors they are enlisting on a daily basis Mm. even though it feels like that sometimes a a lot I would say based Mm. on you know from what my clients tell me anyway they can feel like their body is suddenly people make all these assumptions yeah. without even asking the questions. Yeah. So, you know, I could have clients sitting in front of me who are eating really well, but they say there must be something I'm doing wrong. Yeah. And I look at their behaviors and I'm like, your behaviors are really good. I yeah. mean, you're exercising regularly, you're eating well, eating yeah. a lot of nutritious foods, there's no foods off limits. And if you are eating well, moving your body, managing your stress, looking after your self-care, sleeping well, and you're still in a larger body. I mean, what else can you do other than embark on a diet which will actually unravel a lot of the healthy behaviors that you may have developed? A lot of the unhealthy behaviors, I presume you mean. Sorry. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's an easy mistake to make. Um, So, you know, I guess like we've talked a lot about fat phobia and about diet culture on this podcast and and throughout all of my work. So if we assume that people understand the basics of diet culture and the fact that, you know, we live in a society that sends us all kinds of problematic messages about our body, how do you begin to unlearn that? 
Mm. Yeah, it's a definitely a journey, um, but it's a very liberating one. So in No Apologies, I talk through this three-phase system. I've called it the rebuild system that I've developed over years of working with people. And the first place we need to start is to remove what you've learned from diet culture that keeps you stuck in this place of food stress and obsession. Mm. So this really involves kind of being like your own archaeologist, mm. where you're uprooting diet culture in your internal world so through your thoughts primarily and in your external world so calling it out Mm. first and foremost naming it as diet culture naming it as a really faulty belief that you've uh, developed Mm. from diet culture from listening to it throughout your probably entire life yeah Um, because it is often completely subconscious isn't it that it's only when you start to kind of work to notice the problematic thoughts that you even realize how often you're having them Oh, like I, I've spoken to so many clients who have said that they are shocked at how many diet culture thoughts there are, how deeply ingrained it is. But really, it's like it's like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And you can't unknow it. Mm. It's it really is everywhere. Mm. And that's always the, the 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 first step because although it can be sticky work, it's really important work because if we don't do it, it will trip you up mm. down the road. Mm. So then what's the next step? So the next step is reconnect. Mm. So this is where we reconnect with the needs of your mind and body to give you the information you need to begin nourishing yourself with these. Mm. So from we've learned from diet culture that we need a, a plan, a set of rules and regulations to tell us what, when and how much to eat. And you have got what I like to call this inner expert within that has all of the information that you need to answer those questions. Mm. but diet culture disconnects us from the inner expert so it's as if the phone line between you and the inner expert has been cut Mm. so we have to reconnect that phone line so that at any time you can pick up the phone and ask yourself how am I feeling and what do I need yeah on a physical mental and emotional level and this becomes your I guess the nectar that you drink from Mm. to um Uh, live in a way that makes you, your body, your mind, your soul feel well, that you don't need a set of external rules to tell you how to do that. Yeah, I spoke to a dietitian once and um, I was saying that I uh, struggle with breakfast. Like it's not a meal that I often, well, I I actually do eat it more now, but at that time I didn't often eat it. And I would sometimes like not eat anything until two or three o'clock in the day. And I was like, but I'm not hungry. And she said, you know, your body is kind of like if you think about when you need to go to the toilet like your body will send you the message that you need to go to the toilet and it'll send it again but then eventually if you ignore it like it will kind of go away and she was like if you stop listening to the messages that your body is sending you they will kind of stop sending you those messages Um, and I found that really remarkable because it's true because you know if you eat regularly you will be hungry at those times if you drink regularly you will be thirsty at those times but if you don't if you neglect it you won't feel that impulse to do it so it makes complete sense that you would have to kind of reconnect that phone line for want of a better term. Absolutely. And often that's probably one of the most common things I hear in clinical ways is mm. I'm not hungry in the morning. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, but that can often just come from years of, of maybe not eating food yeah. at a certain time. And I would say that when someone starts this journey, we don't want to use past experiences to rebuild our, our new mindset, our new yeah. way of looking at food, because we need to rebuild it. Yeah, and that's yeah. why it's called rebuild. And that might change as time goes a lot, goes goes on. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're so right. They atrophy over yeah. time. Yeah. It's wild, isn't it? Because I think we completely, like, I find the word nourish, like, it is is a word that I hadn't given a lot of thought until recent years when I began to kind of examine my relationship with food and like you know really the the food that we eat the idea of nourishing your body with food is something that's kind of robbed I feel like of us Mm. via diet culture because food becomes this kind of battleground of like do I deserve it is it good or bad like you know almost how little can I operate on and and not really the question of what does my body need and what feels good and you know how can I care for my body with the food that I eat like all of that stuff none of that stuff is in the conversation, I feel like, when you, within, you know, a lot of people, and particularly women's, I think, you know, relationship with food, certainly I went to Weight Watchers for years and it really damaged the way that I thought about food because I started to think about food in points and, um, Mm. you know, like, you know, the least nutritious food kind of became almost the the most popular food. So it is a lot to relearn, isn't it? Totally. And that's because we we are taught to abandon ourselves. Mm. We are taught to abandon our bodies Mm. in such a way that my body is not good enough as it is. So I have to continually be working to fix it, enhance it, tone it, etc. That is an abandonment in itself because we're not attuning to the needs of our body. Yeah, I I often think about and I could use this in clinic, this comparison a lot. Imagine your body was a small child Mm -hmm. and that child was telling you, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I really want this food. Mm. And you were telling that small child, no, you can't have that because you haven't been good today. Mm. Or this isn't a a good food. This is a bad food, Mm. right? Where we're really not listening to these needs. Mm. When when I say that, people instantly think that's horrific. Mm. You would never say that to a child. Mm. But that is essentially what diet culture teaches us to do. It teaches us to abandon, to not listen to ourselves and our Mm. bodies. And so then in the intuitive eating in the phase or phase of things, like it really is, I know it's more complicated than just listening to your, you know, your body, because I think some people are, you know, write it off and they say, oh, so if I want five Snickers, I'll have five Snickers. (laughs) But like, it kind of is that and it kind of isn't, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it is, but with attunement. Mm. So I would argue that if you always want pizza, cookies, ice cream, etc., those foods are most likely up on a pedestal. Yeah. Because most of us, if we ate pizza for dinner, even for a whole week, we are not going to want any more pizza, right? We're going to be sick of it. Yeah. Because it's not going to make us feel well. Mm. But if we are connected to these cues and we are getting these messages that this doesn't make my body feel well, Mm. this doesn't make my body feel well, we most likely will not want to sit in that place because it will affect us and how we go about our daily life. Mm. So yes, it is allowing all foods in and allow yourself to eat whatever you want, but with attunement to how it's making your body feel. Um, that's interesting though, the idea of certain foods being on a pedestal. Um, expand on that a little bit for me. Yeah, so uh, diet culture, I guess, teaches us that there are good foods and bad foods, right? Mm. So uh, a good food might be, you know, fruit and vegetables. A bad food is cookies, cakes and takeaways. Yeah. So whenever we are told as humans, we cannot have something, 
Mm. we instantly want that thing more yeah. even if it's something that we don't really want that much but yeah. the minute you put a restriction on it suddenly it becomes so much more exciting mm-hmm. so if we are constantly stuck in this state of restriction i often say the the greater the restriction the greater the craving mm. and the greater the overeating mm. So in order to remove or reduce overeating, we need to make sure that there is no restrictions present around Mm. that food. Otherwise, that food will always be on a pedestal. It will always be more exciting to us than it needs to be. Mm. Whereas if we know we can have it all the time, it's just not as amazing. Yes, it it will still taste good. We'll still enjoy eating the food. Mm. And neurologically as well, we don't get the... the, um, amount of dopamine hits we don't get Mm. the adrenaline as when we do when it is restricted so this is there's a real psychological impact from restricting foods yeah I mean it makes total sense it makes total sense like I know myself from my own experience um you know when I've been on very restrictive diets like the amount of time you spend thinking and obsessing about the food that you can't have and then you know I don't do that anymore but like I don't I don't think about food almost at all like you know Mm. I probably could think about it a little bit more to be honest um you know in terms of planning and you know really making sure I have what I need but like it's a it's a dram- there's a dramatic difference between the mindset about food and about as you say about anything when it's restricted yeah and how amazing is it that you have got that place mm. yeah. I think that should be like a really nice message for people listening that to come from maybe thinking about food a lot maybe like being in Weight Watchers like being obsessed about it, to come to this place of it's actually not that big of a deal anymore yeah I mean I, that's that's an amazing place to be at. Yeah, because it, I mean, it can, Jesus, I mean, it can ruin your life. Like I know firsthand, um, I mean, body image problems themselves can ruin your life, but then the, the obsession about diet and food is, is another prison you can kind of put yourself in. And like, look, I mean, I think we, you know, I don't think anyone should blame themselves or be hard on themselves about that because we do live in a society that absolutely still sends us these messages very strongly. But it is great once you can kind of identify them and start to try and and wean them out. But the reality is, Neve, isn't it, that your approach is still quite radical within medicine, within nutrition, within all of those spaces. Why do you think that is? Uh, There's a lot of social conditioning Mm. around thinness versus fatness Mm. and it's you know we see it really in the last kind of hundred years it started to accelerate so you know we're talking a century Mm. worth of ingrained fat phobia that infiltrates its way into all aspects of our society Mm -hmm. so we are not just uprooting our own beliefs we are uprooting generational Mm. beliefs Mm. around health around well-being around thinness around fatness and that is challenging. Mm. So um, I think that the conditioning really is the main reason why it's so challenging to move away from from weight as being the core issue mm. um, in in our society at the moment. But it is it is possible and it is incredibly freeing and incredibly liberating to know that there are so many other ways that you can start working on your health right that don't revolve around weight loss there is another way yeah like I mean I think what's frustrating for me is that this idea that you know 
well, the, well, the not the idea, the fact that there will be lots of people who every time they go to the doctor, their doctor tells them to lose weight and hands them a pamphlet about eating less and exercising more. And it's like, babes, like, <laughs> do you think that there is a single fat person in the world who has not been down the eat less, exercise more route? Like, do you think we don't know that? Like, we know that. Like, that's not helpful because the reality is that all the research shows that it, that's not actually a successful method of people losing a significant yeah. amount of weight and keeping it off. So, you know, but the, but still, you know, and yet they persist with this. And it's so frustrating because you know, it would be, if we actually cared about health, then mm. we would be completely moving away from that. You know, we would be, because we know that yo-yo dieting is really bad for our health. So, you know, when we know that most dieting ends up being yo-yo dieting, then surely we can say, well, that's, that doesn't have a positive out health outcome. And yet the health professionals for the most part are still pushing that. Like it's so hard to understand. Yeah, it's very, very uh, frustrated. But I think this is, again, because of the, the, conditioning, the conditioning, right? Yeah. The generational conditioning. And mm -hmm. in order to come from weight-centric to weight-inclusive, I mean, Louise, it's, to qu be quite frank, it was very confronting for me when I yeah. did this work years ago individually as a healthcare professional. Because yeah. you're like, wait, what? Yeah. But I thought weight was the the, the big problem, like that, mm. that I was supposed to be helping fix. Mm. And um, to learn about the science, to learn about the fact that we don't have any evidence out there to suggest that there is any diet that results in long term sustainable weight loss. And that's really important to mention here. Mm. We say when we say long term, we're talking five years plus. Right. Yeah. Um, that's very confronting, but you need to do that individually because that's not out there in the mainstream, unfortunately. Yeah. Hopefully that's changing. Yeah. But you have to be committed to doing that work individually as a healthcare professional. Yeah. And that requires you to uproot so much of your own conditioning, mm. of your own belief systems. And that's not very nice work sometimes yeah. uh, to do that. So yeah, I think I, but I do think it is changing. I mean, I know lots of healthcare professionals who are kind of moving away from weight centric definitely. I feel in my generation, there's, mm. there's lots more people who are interested in non-diet interested in weight inclusive healthcare. Yeah. So I do have hope for the future that things are changing. Well, that is very heartening. I have to say, because it has been a rough road for me. I have to say as an individual, and I hear from people all the time who have also had a rough time in lots of different medical settings. Um, and you know, the result of that is that people don't go to the doctor when they need to, yeah. and they don't confront, you know, health issues that have nothing to do with their weight and you know at times I've read many cases where people have died because they haven't been diagnosed with things on time because you know the, the medical professional has been distracted by their weight or they simply haven't gone on time because of their anxiety around going to the doctor because it always ends up being about their weight so like it has to change so it's really heartening to hear that you know of lots of people who are who are doing the work and I completely appreciate that it is very challenging but I'm so glad that you did it Neve. <laughs> so glad <laughs> <laughs> yeah still like trying to I guess uh that the, the point of of the book really is you know to to try and get the message out there into the mainstream yeah um, and that's something that I'm really passionate about because yeah. at the end of the day I'm only one person but yeah. I guess a book can reach a lot more people. Yeah. And I know that you wrote this kind of with everyone in mind. It's not just for people who maybe have very specific, you know, issues with food. You know, everyone can benefit from reading this book. And I know also that you really want it to be, to be accessible. So it's not like a very difficult read. Neve has made this so that it's easy for everyone to read and take something from. So the book is No Apologies, The Ditch Diet Culture and Rebuild Your Relationship with Food. It's Neve Orbinski. And thank you so much for giving me your time. Thank you so much for having me. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the reward-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The stories this week for the showbiz section of the show are, frankly, insane. <laughs> like the, the So many Irish stories, and they really run the full gamut of bizarre, uh, unexpected, to kind of mildly offensive. Um, also, Cassie has a, a shocking take on Succession, although there are no spoilers here, so you don't need to worry if you haven't watched the Succession finale or you're only starting or, you know, maybe you don't care at all, but just so you know, there's no spoilers. Um, so I hope you enjoy. It's Cassie Delaney. Well, Cassie Delaney, my God, what a what a, what a an embarrassment of riches we've been delivered this week when it comes to things for us to talk about. Oh well, we have the time. There is so much going on. It's such a uh, relief when people are doing madder, weirder shit than you are, yeah. and you can look at to it and talk about it and distract yourself from your own life. <laughs> Absolutely <It's> wonderful. <laughs> I love it. Let's start with I. I'll tell you what happened. I arrived in Barcelona last night. I was in the lift on my own, getting the lift up to our apartment because the lift will not take more than one person. And I had the luggage with me. Me and Gordon and the luggage was too much for the lift. So Gordon had to get off. Um, So I was on my own. I had a quick look at my phone and then the lift doors opened and my friend Sean was there and I went, (gasps) Samantha Jones returns to Sex and the City. Kim Cattrall's back in Sex and the City. And he was like, what? And everyone in the apartment was like, what? What? And then when we told them, they were like, oh. <laughs> but me and Sean I know. were very There's a excited. lot of that this week, isn't there? There's a lot of like, oh, here's a big story. And then you read it. It's like one singular line. Yeah, so Samantha Jones, who famously um, would not return to the Sex and the City reboot, which I think was probably a wise decision for her. No, <laughs> no hate on it. Did I watch every single episode? Yes, I did. Did I hate watch it and hate every single minute of it? Yes, I also did. Will you be devouring so, season two? Yes, you will. Of course, yeah. I will. Absolutely. <laughs> Every last second. Uh, uh, it's like one of those shows that you're like, this is so bad, but I cannot stop watching. I love it. it. I love it. I would watch one million, one million minutes of it. I would watch 25 episodes. Like nothing could make me stop watching. Yeah, I mean, the original Sex and the City was great, but like the reboot, it was like they tried to rectify all of the problems the original one had had. So they gave them all new, diverse friends. Yeah. And it was just like... <laughs> 
I mean, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I see. I see what you're doing, Sex and the City. Anyway, there's great buzz because um, season two of And Just Like That is coming back. Kim Cattrall was missing from the first season with this storyline that Samantha Jones had moved to London and they'd had some falling out, very out of character. Mm. So the only acknowledgement of her in the first um, the first season were these kind of conversations and some texts back and forth. Now, completely out of character for Samantha Jones to not arrive at Carrie Bradshaw's husband's funeral. Yeah. Like she sent a bunch of flowers. It's like you're very, very rich. Get on a plane. Mm. You would go. So very, very strange. But we have been promised a scene, one scene featuring Kim in season two, apparently shot in New York, where she is on the other end of the phone to Sarah Jessica Parker. So we can look forward to that probably 90 seconds of TV. See, I think it's exciting because it like opens the door, you know, like it really felt like the door was firmly closed, but it opens the door. And even if we only get it for a minute, I will lap that minute up and I'm excited. Um, Okay, that's that. That's a breaking news. (laughs) (laughs) These stories are so bizarre. Like the fact that I'm even about to say this sentence is so crazy. So Kendrick Lamar shot a music video in the Stevens Green Shopping Center. (laughs) But well done, you've actually reveal the entire story this is the headline you have to give props to this right the headline new Kendrick Lamar video features Stevens Green Shopping Centre the entirety of the story is the new music video for Baby Keem and Kendrick Lamar's single The Hillbillies features Stevens Green Shopping Centre end of story that's the Sunday World's reporting there I actually pressed the listen to this article I was like can I just not find the rest of the story with all the ads that are on this page listen to the story 15 seconds repeats exactly what I just said to you and there we have the video clip which yeah is as you anticipate in Stephen's Green Shopping Centre at Christmas time I mean it is crazy though like that may be all we know but it still is absolutely wild it's very very strange why Um, how i don't understand it what a bizarrely odd quality video like did they walk around with an actual handheld camcorder from the 90s i think they, they did i think yeah it's um anyway look a little shout out to steven's green shopping center yeah I mean, like unexpected and I love it. Where dreams come true. I'm actually going to see Kendrick now over this weekend. So I'll I'll have a chat to him and find out what the story was. Yeah, see where else he went to. Like, did he go down to the Starbucks? Did he go into that nice little corner shop? Did he get a piercing on the top floor? Did he buy any art? (laughs) Did he have to pay to go to the toilet? (laughs) Fair play, Kendrick. We love it. Okay, now this next story is wild. Royal Blood, a band, I have to say, whose music I do like, um, have just basically pissed everyone off. Yeah, here's the thing about Royal Blood. Like, their music is like a limerick. Like, it's it's pleasant but predictable. Yes, you know? that's it's true. Like, it's, it's nice, but ultimately it's going to be forgettable. I was like, what other forgettable bands do they remind me of? But I actually, it feels very, like, early 2006 light rock stuff. Muse, I think. It's kind of Muse light yeah, it's 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 pleasant. Someone described it as the kind of music accountants listen to when they say they like a little bit of rock. I was like, That's <laughs> very, very accurate. So they've pissed everyone off um, this week. They're playing at the BBC Ready One's big weekend mini festival in Dundee. And there's footage of them, uh, specifically Frontline Mike Hare. And he's making these kind of like jibing remarks to the crowd. So... He says at one point, you know, we have to introduce ourselves because nobody knows who we are. We're Royal Bloods and this is rock music. Like, 
come on. Um, and then another point, he says, we have to clap for ourselves because that was so pathetic. And ultimately, he just like leaves the stage with his two fingers in the air. Like, yeah, like he's like, who likes rock music? Nine people. Brilliant. And then he like points at the, at the cameraman and he goes, even he's clapping. What does that say about you? Like he was just like obnoxious yeah it's unnecessary like completely unnecessary it's like me whipping out a microphone and being like this is pop music who likes pop and then getting offended because i can't perform pop music (laughs) like it's insane because the thing about radio one's big weekend is that they they do it in a different town or a city around the uk every year and it's bbc radio one so the the lineup is always a mix and i would imagine you largely get like teenagers and like people in their 20s you know going um who probably are into the more mainstream music that bbc radio one plays and like you know i saw mango um irish rapper mango uh, tweeting about it during the week and he said i've played gigs where the crowd would have rather seen me get an eye test on stage than hear me tunes <laughs> he said never turned around to blame them for not getting it or thinking i'm cool do your tight 45 say thank you and leave and that's it like look everybody yeah, who it's... does any kind of live performance has had to do it in front of people who didn't want to be there yeah exactly it's a job yeah like at the end of the day it's your job yeah Just- perform and be nice about it and then maybe people will look up your music afterwards and enjoy your you know enjoy you then and become a fan then but like insulting people isn't the way to win them over but also insulting the listeners of a radio station who play your music like why would you want to piss off the the radio station that booked you who you know ostensibly help you get your bread and butter it's like bizarre behavior bizarre um now not a great week for matty healy of the 1975 (laughs) is it ever my god i have a lot of kind of schadenfreude about this though which is not 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 my not very kind of me i never really got it with this guy to be honest uh, my favorite fact about him is that he's denise welsh's son yeah that that's i think the most interesting part of his personality Mm. so um he's a real controversial character and he's become a little bit more i suppose noteworthy really in the in the headlines because of his supposed relationship with taylor swift yeah Um, so he's kind of come under scrutiny, rightly so. He's said some pretty heinous things in the past. Mm. But um, there's two people this week, Azealia Banks and Noel Gallagher, are just not fans <laughs> really? of him. Really? Running the full spectrum. <laughs> yeah, really just pissing everyone off as much as possible. Um, so a few months ago, Matt Healy had said that he wanted Liam and Noel to get back together, but kind of in an offensive way, saying, you know, can you imagine being in potentially the coolest band in the world and not doing it because you're in a mart with your brother? They need to grow up like they're men of the people. And they sat around in like little Venice and hate, like arguing with each other, basically saying, grow up, get on with it, get back together, give the fans what they want. And saying that anyone at their gigs, anyone at a High Flying Birds gig or a Liam Gallagher gig would rather be at an Oasis gig. I mean, that is true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, like even, a, even, a, even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> yeah, I do love Liam's response. He's like, who made him the boss of time? <laughs> I love Liam's response to literally anything. Yeah, anything. That's a real like, who made you the boss of me? Exactly. <laughs> um, just classic <laughs> rock and roll rivalry here. So uh, basically, Liam was just like, tell him to to shut the f up. Like he's mm. just he's he called him a fucking slack jawed fuckwit, which is again absolutely fantastic. Um. <sighs> Yeah, and then Azealia Banks is telling him to wash his dick and eat a strong green salad. Again, some <laughs> absolutely poetic comments coming from this 
this rivalry so and long Azalea, in fairness someone who has been you know she has said some absolutely horrendous things she has no filter she says whatever she wants she said all kinds of problematic things but once again I mean just deciding to really go for him on her Instagram story in in, in text like writing text in her Instagram yeah, put it to him. No, one's, him. no one's talked to her about you know not putting it in words no I, yeah no, what what does Dorinda say write it regret it say it forget it yeah. <laughs> Irish. um so azelia Bax called him a lame poser with a trash cliche bond name <laughs> which i love but um, it's so accurate the 1975 is on nobody's radar babe which in fairness is not not true because they have loads of fans Eat a People strong love them salad. on TikTok. I just don't get it. She said, oh, this dude is a full incel. You cannot be letting him climb the rich white coochie mountain, sis. I actually, he's one person I don't want to be cancelled because I enjoy these comments coming from other people so much. Oh, I just, I mean, Celia is just so entertaining. I mean, I know she's a problem, but like she's so entertaining because there are so few, I mean, the reality is there are just so few people who are brave enough or stupid enough to just say whatever they want now. So whenever <laughs> someone does... A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah, exactly. So whenever someone does, you're just like, oh, wow, that's very special, isn't it? So yeah, really poor true, poor really. Maddie Healy having a rough week. Um, I do think that he should shut the fuck up sometimes. Oh, I mean, so I absolutely agree. are awful. I totally Including agree. that he would never date Taylor Swift. <laughs> like, And yet here we are. Yeah. Okay, now, this is a wild one. Um, so many weird, like moments in Irishness this week. Conor McGregor uh, bopping with Kylie Minogue. Ugh. That's very not at you, Kylie. Like, yeah, very, very strange. But the thing is, if you're Kylie Minogue, how much of the local, like, you I don't think know. We she all, doesn't know. Yeah, we all know about McGregor because we're local and because we read things and we talk to yeah. people and we have eyes and we're tuned in. But she probably wouldn't know. And to anybody else, he's just this incredibly famous, probably very charming Irish person. She yeah. doesn't know that he's sat in a pub and punched an old man because he refused the whiskey. Do you know? Like, yeah. she does know a lot of other stuff as well. Yeah. Not saying anything, just alluding to things, allegedly. So um, there is a video of them partying together, dancing and uh, enjoying enjoying Kylie's new song, Padam Padam. Which um, following- we just need to acknowledge is incredible like a moment mm-hmm. a moment in queer yeah. culture it's wonderful <laughs> um so yeah just another those odd things two people who would never you should never put together are together she probably will i don't know will she hear about worse things that he's done or probably maybe probably not yeah she's probably she's just probably gonna keep to living her tiny glamorous life i'm gonna go out on a limb and say she probably doesn't even really know who he is or what he does or ever seen a match or a game a boxing a fight whatever yeah. you call them a yep. sport a thing a diamond they do it in a diamond octagon octagon diamond yeah. is baseball anyway sure we're experts um okay and finally we have to acknowledge the uh, biggest thing that happened in pop culture this week which is of course the finale of succession and uh, tell the people what you said to me cassie when i texted you during the week to check if you watched i look I, there's no other way to say, I, I think succession is boring mm. like I think it's, I get it, it's tense, but like the minute to minute play of the show is just, it's a little bit dull for me. Yeah. I don't love it. It's what I think it's just everyone feels compelled to watch it and they have to watch it because I think everyone's watching it. And if you're not watching it, I'm on your side. I have watched the first three seasons 
I started watching season four, episode one last night. I just, I find it really hard. You know, Cass, it's okay. I think it's good that you're coming out like this. And I think, you know, there will be people who feel the exact same way who are listening and probably like punching the air and saying at last, at last a voice for the people. I love it. Genuinely. I will say I, I started it twice. And the first time I watched it, the first episode, I was like, oh, this isn't for me. And then I was in Wexford with uh, my dad and Gordon and we put it on and we watched the first season like over the course of like a week after the kids Mm. went to bed and I loved it like got super super into it I guess it kind of depends on like what you want from your TV like for me just the characters the character development like I find that fascinating like I'm fascinated by the characters but like look it's not going to be for everybody and that's okay yeah and this is the thing I get it like I don't want people screaming at me being like you just have to give it another go no no sat down for you won't get that from me yeah, thank you. I understand it. I get that they're not supposed to be likable. I mm. don't want my characters to be likable. I also, and I lo- I think it's beautiful. I think it's so smart. I think it's like shot really well. I mm. think it's interesting. Just, I find it boring as well. <laughs> That's okay. I loved the final episode. I thought it was really, really good. I had to kind of sit with it for a while afterwards and process because, you know, the I, I kind of, I don't want to, sp- I'm not going to spoil anything here. So, mm. um, but the end kind of final scenes were so intense and kind of so unexpected, but then at the same time sort of expected. Um, and you had to kind of think about where all the characters were going to go after that. And then, and also think about the kind of full circle of the whole series and, uh, process you had to process it was very it was very high level I think um but I really I really loved it I thought it was amazing and I thought there were really great moments of like levity in the final episode as well and I'm gonna miss them I'm gonna miss them I'm gonna especially miss Roman I do like Roman I love him and he's terrible but I love him yeah yeah he's that's that's it it's hard to watch people who are behaving badly and still enjoy them yeah but I just yeah look I think there's other things to watch I'm enjoying so much other tv at the moment and I'm happy for you I I really it really annoys me when people are dicks about people not liking something they like like we're allowed to like different things (laughs) that's the whole premise of life like you know if you don't like it cool like that's grand I like it I'll watch it like we don't understand why people fight about it yeah one of my whatsapp groups was talking about it all day and then they were like cassie have you watched it yet and i was like no i'm not watching it and they're like oh you're saving it for another time and i was like no i'm not what like get over it like it's just a tv show (laughs) well good for you good for you for standing up for all the people like you who maybe are voiceless in this situation voice of the people this will be my legacy oh cassie delaney uh, i know people can listen to you on the creep dive um what else anything else you'd like to plug on this occasion um no i'm exhausted that's it for now that's you can fair find me on the <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much thank you Well, my friends, it is just about time for me to go. But before I do, I do have a recommendation for you. And this week, it's guys, it's going to come out of left field because it's not something to watch. It's not something to read. It's not something to listen to. No, no, it's a beauty product. Um, obviously, you may or may not know, actually, that I write a beauty column for the Irish Independent Weekend Magazine every Saturday. I am obsessed with beauty products. I uh, remember when Sam McKnight, the hair stylist, was on the show, uh, on the podcast, excuse me, maybe about six weeks ago uh well this week he was in Dublin and I got to go to a kind of chat with him and he was talking all about his career uh and even though I'd heard some of it 
it, it was still mind blowing. I mean, he was he was there when Naomi Campbell fell in the uh, Vivian Westwood show and she fell off those massive platforms. He was there watching the monitor backstage. Like he's he's been everywhere. Um, and I got to watch him work and I was like genuinely on the edge of my seat watching him do this girl's hair and use his products. I just, I love beauty products. Um, and this week, I this is not an ad. I did get sent the product in Peoria, but this is not an ad, but I want to share it because it was a game changer for me. So my toenails are not in great shape post chemotherapy. Uh, chemo can really do a number on your nails and uh, mine have never recovered. And as a result, I have never had a pedicure since I had cancer eight years ago. And I used to have nice feet and it's not a big deal. I don't get overly stressed about it, but like, you know, I do miss having nice feet. Um, and look, if you were telling me this story, I'd be like, just go and get a pedicure. Like they've seen everything. They'll, they don't care. They'll help you out. Cause there's nothing wrong. Like medically with my toenails, I've been to a foot doctor and stuff. And she was like, it's just nor This is just a thing that happens. Um, but they're just a bit unsightly, you know, they're a bit unsightly. Um, so anyway, a few years ago, I bought myself, now this is, this is niche and I apologize, but we will get to the part that's not so niche. I bought myself, um, an electric file basically so that I could do my own toenails kind of reasonably well so I have that but then I got and this is the recommendation the 14 day manicure set which is basically like a set where you can do gel nails at home so you know like shellac or whatever it's the the polish that is harder to remove and um, and uh, guys, like my toenails, this is the best they've looked in eight years. They look, they are shiny, they are glossy, they look like a normal person's feet and um, I was able to do it at home and I know that they're going to last over this holiday because they're, you know, they're gel nails. I've had them on, I, I mean, my toenails are on, I mean, I've had the polish on now already for five days and it still looks absolutely perfect. I'm like complete convert now on this. I will be doing my toenails now full time. Um, and I just stick my foot into the little lamp. So the set comes with like some basic manicure tools, a UV lamp, your base coat, top coat, and some, you get to pick your own four colors in the starter kit. Um, and then you can do it at home yourself forever. And there's 200 colors you can pick from. So like whatever colors you're into, glitters, whatever, you can get them. And I just, for me, it was a real, a very heartening moment because it's something that I, you know, I had missed. Even though I should just go and get the pedicure. But anyway, that's, so that's my recommendation. 14 day manicure. Um, you can buy it. It's uh, like they have an Irish setup, so you don't have to pay mad customs or anything to get it. Um, I would recommend on that note, it's time for me to go. Um, I have to give a brief shout out to Katie, who sat beside us on the plane yesterday. Absolute sounder, um, teacher we were chatting to. Uh, hello. She said she was going to listen. Katie, if you're not listening and I'm wasting this shout out, I'm going to be fuming. Um, and I say, I hope you guys have a really good week. But as always, if you can't have a good week, just keep going. Um, we will get through whatever it is that is facing us this week. Thank you so much to Acast and to all my contributors. And I will talk to you next Friday. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 